0: Most of the time as ministers, we focused on the deity of Jesus because he is God. And it's so easy for people to overlook the actual man part of our Messiah because he is fully man and he is fully God. It's the craziest thing because he who's joined to the Lord is one spirit. So in you... You're fully man, and now you've become filled with God, which makes you no longer just natural. So today's message I've entitled, The Man, the Myth, and the Legend. It just sounded great. I'm like, yeah, we can do that, Lord. That'll work real good, praise God. (laughs) So we're going to start with the man, the man of Jesus. Jesus knew what it was like to be hungry, He fasted 40 days and 40 nights. He didn't do it for himself. He did it for us. He did it for the Father. Everything that Jesus did in his earthly ministry wasn't to get a ministry. It was to get a bride. And it's the same thing. People spend their whole lives pursuing a ministry. When Jesus didn't die for a ministry, he died for a bride. And here we find ourselves as the bride of Christ. But the man Jesus knew what it was to be hungry. He knew what it was to be completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit of God to lead him into the ways of God, to actually direct his steps. He knew what it was like to face the devil face to face. He knew what it was like to have to overcome temptation, and he did it perfectly as a man filled with the Spirit of God. God became a man and then filled that man, which he became, with his own Spirit, which was his Son. He did all this for us. God never had to subject Himself to like things. He says in the book of Isaiah, My ways are not your ways. My ways are higher than yours. God was so much higher than us that without Him coming down to us, we could never get up to Him. So God made the ultimate sacrifice before the cross when he chose to leave heaven, come down as a man. The scripture says, though he was God, he humbled himself as a man. He put aside his deity. He put aside all his rights as God and came and lived as a man. So we find in the book of Hebrews that we don't have a high priest that can't be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, weaknesses. That's not the kind of high priest that we have, but it says that he was in all manners tempted as we are, yet without sin. He was tempted to such a point that he was sweating blood in the garden of Gethsemane. I've never been tempted to go the opposite way of the Lord, where actually I start sweating blood. But Jesus was. The weight and the pressure that was on him. This is the God of the universe who came for one purpose and one purpose alone. He was born to die. This is the man. From the day of his conception... He was born to die. A God that never had limitations. A God that never experienced death. Subjected His self to it. Why? Because without Him dying, we couldn't live. Michelle said something to me. It was about three weeks ago after church. She said that the Lord said to her that He knows what it's like to have a broken heart. And you think, well, how could God know what it's like to have a broken heart? And Michelle said that the expression of how much his heart was broken in the garden, he showed it when his son hung upon the cross. God knows what it's like to have a broken heart. Therefore, he can heal the broken heart God knows what it's like to be hungry. God knows what it's like to suffer temptation. But He also knows what His Spirit can do. I'm not separating the Son from the Father or the Holy Ghost right now. We're focusing as God the man because they're all one. Jesus in the flesh The Father experienced the same agony. Could you separate the Father from Jesus at the time? No. When you go through something, can you separate the Spirit of the Father from you? No. When you're going through something, God's going through it with you. God, why would you subject yourself to go through stuff I have to go through so you actually feel the pain that I feel? You're with me in weakness, and there's a promise that when I'm weak, then I'm strong because Christ's strength perfects me in my weakness. God has still subjected Himself to a lower level so that we can come to a higher one. It's amazing that the God of the universe would do such a thing. That the God of the universe, the one who created everything, would let His creation shame Him by stripping him naked and nailing him on a cross for everybody to see. This is the man. He bore our shame on that cross when he was naked, hanging there for everybody to see. We never have to bear our shame. When he took those 39 lashes upon his back, they were for the healing of the nations. We never have to bear something that He bore for us. The weight of sin, misguided actions that carry consequences, we don't even have to carry that because Jesus bore our sin in His own body. Guilt and condemnation has no opportunity to rest on a person whose mind has been renewed according to the Word. And that's where we're going to get into the myth. The myth in Christianity is that you can actually work to get things from God. That the more holier of a lifestyle that you live, the more that God will bless you. In a natural realm, it makes sense. The more holier of a lifestyle, if I don't do certain things, that means that I will have a greater blessing of God because my holiness has made access for more of the blessing to come into my life. Makes sense, right? No. That's not the gospel. Why would Jesus have to pay such a high price for our freedom if we could earn it? That's why it's a finished work ministry because Jesus finished the work. I used to feel like I had a reason to boast about the anointing that was on my life until I would get up to speak and that anointing wasn't there, even though the calling still was. Because pride is a dangerous thing in a believer's life. It's the number one reason why Satan got kicked out of heaven. His pride made him think that he was valuable in himself outside of the Creator. Everything that Lucifer had before he was cast down from heaven was given to him by God for God. Everything that we received in this new life was given to us by God for God. Pride in the believer's life is detrimental, and it will hurt you in the end. I'm going to read 1 John chapter 2, verse 27 through 29. The man, the myth, the legend. This is what it says. But the anointing which you have received of him abides in you, and you need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you all things and is truth and is no lie, and even as it has taught you, you shall abide in him. So what is teaching us that causes us to abide in him? According to 1 John here, it's the anointing. How did we get the anointing? Did we work for it? no. He said the anointing that you received of Him, which means that it was given to you, you didn't work for it. You could consider it a gift because it's the goodness of God, the Scripture says, that leads men to change. It's the goodness of God. See, the church over these generations have said that it's the wrath of God It's the myth. It's the wrath of God that's going to make people change. Maybe if you preach more judgment, maybe if we preach more sin, but the more judgment and sin was preached, the more judgment and sin was in the church to the point to where unbelievers hate Christians because Christians have become some of the most judgmental and critical people in the earth. They judge people for the way they look, the way they talk, because they don't act right. And it's like we forget they're us. We were them. Not us, I'm just talking about in general. (laughs) But we were all there at one time, where we made accusations and judgments against people, thinking that we were better than them because we weren't like them. But we came from them. The anointing teaches you of all things and is truth and is no lie. And even as it has taught you, because you have been taught by the Holy Spirit, the one that anointed you, it says you shall abide in him. Verse 28, And now little children, abide in him. When I read this now, I don't look at it as a commandment for me to abide in him. I read it as an empowerment to abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him because this is the reason the anointing came upon you was to teach you all things so that now you really can abide in him. Now you don't have to be moved away with every wind of doctrine that you can have a surety of your faith that he'll never leave you or forsake you, that this anointing which you received was a gift. It was a gift. The scripture also says that the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance, which means he don't take them back when you abuse them. He don't take them back when you abuse them. Let me ask you a question. Did he take away David's kingship when he slept with Bathsheba and had Uriah the Hittite killed? No. Did what David sowed into his own life have severe consequences? Yes, it did. Did it change his relationship with God? No, it didn't. Did it affect his whole household? Yes, it did. It's the reason why God is against sin. God is against sin, but he's not against sinners. Christians, God is against, opposed to the things that are against, or opposed to us and to our well-being. He's never against us. That's why David would pray to the Lord and say, take vengeance upon my enemies. It was the people under the old covenant. It's no longer the people. Because now, under this covenant, Satan's been exposed, and we don't fight flesh and blood. Our war isn't flesh and blood. It's powers and principalities, spiritual wickedness, In high places, heavenly places, the scripture says. So when I pray now, I pray that God would avenge me of my enemies. The things that are against me, because the things that are against me are the things that are against God. You know, if someone was to come up and smack one of my children, you just smack me. Actually, it would be worse. I would actually take it more personal than if you smacked me. Am I a better father than God? No, I'm not. How do you think God feels when the enemy tries to assault one of his children? He takes it very, very personally. You just assaulted him in the worst way. Where Jesus would say, it would be better that you have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea, literally drowned yourself. Have you ever heard the term, go smack yourself? Jesus is saying, it'd be better for you to drown yourself than to cause one of these little ones to offend. The little ones, that's me, that's you. We have to understand how esteemed we are in the eyes of our Father. That as I look at mercy, grace, and faith, and I say, I would die for you. The Father says, I did die for you. And when something assaults us, it assaults him. He takes it very, very personally. And now little children abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence. It's like the empowerment and now little children abide in him. Because this is where you're at. And then he says, so that when he appears, you may have confidence. Because... He's anointed us and because we abide in him when he appears we shall be confident before him in his appearing that when he shall appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous you know that everyone that does righteousness is born of him. Is righteousness a work? Because it says that everyone who does righteousness is born of him. Is righteousness a work? No. It can't be according to what the Apostle Paul wrote. Where he said that when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness, which means you had no ability to do it. Righteousness isn't a work. When we do righteousness, it's putting our trust in the one that made us righteous that made us acceptable before God. I don't care if I just blew it before I came into church, I'm pleasing to God. You're pleasing to God. You could come in here in the worst attitude ever, and it's like me with one of the girls. They just woke up. They're in a super bad attitude. You can almost laugh at it. What are you so mad about? If you see stuff from my viewpoint, you would realize that everything's under control. (laughs) That's how God is with us. The scripture says that he holds us in the palm of his hand. God holds us in the palm of his hand. That means that he never lets us go. That we've been given this position with the Father because of the Son. Because God became a man. But if you believe the myth, you'll spend your whole life trying to earn something that was so freely given to us. The greatest expression of love, Jesus said, no greater love has a man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends the greatest expression of love, God demonstrated it through His Son, the man. If God was ever angry with humanity, Jesus is never coming to die for it. If God was angry with prostitutes, homosexuals, adulterers, liars, fornicators, if God was angry with them, He's never coming to die for them because all those things are actions, not people. God was able to separate who we were from the things we did because he created us with an original design and we believed a lie. That's why Jesus would say that you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Because in the presence of truth, lies are exposed as lies and we're righteous, we're clean, we're holy, we're acceptable before Him. What sanctified the temple in the Old Testament? What sanctified it? The blood, yes. But if the Holy Spirit wasn't in the tabernacle, would the blood make a difference? If God himself wasn't on the mercy seat, would it make a difference? If his presence wasn't with Israel, the only reason why the blood was acceptable, why the temple could be sanctified, was because God was there. The presence of God sanctified the temple. I love this, and this was supposed to be Heather's grace-piration message but not this not this (laughs) she didn't prepare my message for me (laughs) but I sure do preach her stuff (laughs) but uh, she was telling me she said you know how much care and delicacy that the Lord took even with the instructions on preparing the Ark of the Covenant the temple in Solomon's day. He gave them such careful instructions to follow because he cared about the place where his presence was going to dwell that much. How much more now has God actually took the time, calculated, made ready a place for him to inhabit? which is us. He's took more time in designing us for him to indwell than he did for a stone building. And she said, you know what? After Jesus, she said God was way ahead of technology. After Jesus, God went mobile. (laughs) She said, we each have the Holy Spirit now. And we carry him. That he's made us vessels that can actually host his presence. That we can carry the presence of God inside of us. He has done this. Listen to what it says. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. And he said, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We have received this treasure. What treasure is he talking about? The gift of the Holy Spirit in earthen vessels, so that the excellency of the power, that word power is the Greek word dunamis. Dunamis is miraculous, mighty power, Strength, and I thought it was very interesting that the word violence is also used to describe it. What did it say in Isaiah chapter 61? To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God upon his enemies. The spirit of deception that deceived man into doing something that God told him not to do, which was the original sin, that is the enemy of God. God never opposes us. He's always for us. That's why Paul would go on to write, if God is for us, then who can be against us? Who can be against us? Then he goes on to say, what can separate us from the love of God? And you know what he listened there? Demons. He lists demons in that category. That even when the devil disguised himself as a serpent, he couldn't separate us from the love of God because God still loved his humanity. God still loves his humanity. The Father looks at it every day. It's at his right hand. (laughs) Jesus is clothed with flesh from the day after the resurrection and forever. Jesus God put on flesh, not just for 33 years, but for all of eternity. That's the man. He put on flesh for all of eternity, and he's never going to take it off. So every time the Father looks at his right hand, He sees the man that's been elevated to such a position that he can become the firstborn of many brothers. And then he sees the brothers and the sisters. And he says, because of your sacrifice, they are all acceptable in my sight. For with one sacrifice, he made payment for sin. And then it said he sat down at the right hand of God. With one sacrifice, he purged us forever. I got to read something. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament and they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death but this man because he continues forever has an unchangeable priesthood wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto god by him seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them It says that he is able to save them to the uttermost. That means absolute. Without contradiction. Forever. Without possibility of falling back. That he is able to save them. It doesn't say that they will be able to save themselves because he saved them. No, it says that he is able to save them to the uttermost forever because... He ever lives to make intercession for them. I equate this because I look at the life of Peter and Peter thinks that he's going to be the one that would never deny Jesus. And Jesus tells him before this that Simon, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. I've connected you to the Father. I've became the go-between. Because I've connected you to the Father, Satan won't be able to devour you. Oh. Because it's the reason he's alive. He died for our sins, but he lives because he is the connection to the Father. We come to the Father through the Son, which wouldn't be in his position without the Father. <laughs> That's why when Jesus is talking, I believe it's in the book of John chapter 16 when the spirit of truth comes. I said that he would take of mine and show him to you because all that the Father has has been given unto me. All really does mean all. Everything that the Father has has been given to Jesus, not only in earth also in heaven. See, God entrusted a man with something he created and put him all over all the works of his hands in the garden. That man blew it. This man never will. He's able to be trusted with everything in God's care, which is us. So he's able to save us to the uttermost because we came to him. How did we come to him? because he came to us. You know, there's so many religions. Every religion except for Christianity is all about man striving to get to God. Christianity is set apart in its own class because it's God coming to man so that man in return could become like God. Did I say they could become God? No. I said like God. Huge difference. It's the whole reason why he gave us his spirit is so that we can be like him. <laughs> because as he is, so are you in this earth, the scripture says. The verses right above it are actually talking about love. And we become love in the earth because that's what god is so we become a sweet smelling fragrance to the father because everywhere we go we smell like him i used to wear this cologne and when i was gone heather said that she would just get some of my shirts and and just smell them because it made her feel like i was there When man rebelled, God lost part of himself. I don't know if you realize that or not. God invested himself in the creation of humanity. He got it back through the death of his son. God knew what it was like to have a broken heart. The picture of that is the man upon the cross that was God but humbled himself as a man went through stuff that we couldn't even imagine. You know how many times the Scripture says that they wanted to kill him, yet he escaped from their hands? That's in the middle of a riot. They wanted to throw him over the cliff of his own hometown. Rejection after rejection. The people that you came to serve, they want to kill you? One of your own twelve? sell you for money? Do you think Jesus, the man, God, knew what it was like to be betrayed? Knew what it was to have to fight through insecurities? To find his identity in the Father alone and not what other people thought of him? Oh, yeah, he did. You don't think that he was ever brought thoughts of suicide? If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here? What is that? In Jesus' case, that would have been suicide because the Father didn't tell him to do that. And he only did what the Father does. He only said what the Father said. That's why we don't have a high priest that can't understand the things that we go through Because now he goes through them with us. The question isn't, God, why am I going through this? The question becomes, why would you go through this with me? (laughs) Why would you subject yourself to this when I don't even want to be here? (laughs) But that's the God that we have, a God that died for his creation. And I would be bold to say that God lives for you. And it almost sounds blasphemous that, no, we're supposed to live for God. God doesn't live for us. If you take man away from God, man dies. You take God away from man, God lives. Didn't the scripture just say that he ever lives? It's the reason he's alive? To make intercession? To connect us to the Father? We're perpetually connected to the Father because of the life of Jesus. Not because of my life, but because of His. Not because of your life, the things you've done right or the things you've done wrong. Not because of that, but because of the things Jesus did that were right, that made you right. I want to read of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. Not that we are sufficient... Of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves but our sufficiency is of God our sufficiency is of God the Apostle Paul just said that not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves but God is the one our sufficiency comes from God he made us sufficient through the blood of Jesus We are sanctified because the presence of God lives inside of us. We are made holy because God's spirit indwells us. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Therefore, we become the legend because we're carrying on a legacy that was delivered to us by God himself. So everywhere that God is seen, he's seen in Africa He's seen in Wisconsin right now. He's seen in Illinois. He's seen in the Philippines, Haiti. He's seen all over. Why? Because we carry his legacy. When it is written in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, those guys are legends. And when you read the end of it, it says that they quenched the violence of fire, stopped the mouths of lions, had their children raised from the dead, and didn't try to get out of being put to death. They became legends because of the man that was way more than a myth. They didn't, and we don't believe the lie of works That they did, and we rest in righteousness. That salvation was something that was provided for us, not earned. That I've been made right with God. That I don't have to try to be right. I stopped striving to be right with God, which was my whole passion since I came to Jesus. And now I can rest in what righteousness really is. Because a sacrifice that I didn't make, I just accepted. I'm going to close with this. So we'll go to Hebrews chapter 1. God, who at different times and in different manners spoke in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, who he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. God in times past and in different ways spoken to our fathers by the prophets. But it says that in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. When I was reading that this morning, I was so grateful that it didn't say he spoke to me by my works. I would never hear from God. (laughs) It says, no, that he speaks to us now by his son, not by our works, not according to what we've done, but according to what he did. Because at the end of the verse, it says, by whom he created the world's everything. That's everything in existence. It wasn't created without Jesus. It was created with him. Everything that was created, God created by that man who was God, who put aside his great deity, laid it aside, became a man. Then after he suffered, was crucified, he took it back up again. And he ever lives to make intercession for us. So when the enemy says that he's going to devour you, it's actually laughable. (laughs) That's funny because Jesus, he's living for me right now, and because he's alive, I'm connected to the Father. God's speaking to me by his Son, and the Scripture says, his blood speaks of better things. It calls me loved, clean, righteous, holy, acceptable, perfect in the Father's eyes. I might not be perfect in a lot of people's eyes, but I tell you what, I am perfect in my Father's eyes. It's the same with you. You might not be perfect in a lot of people's eyes, but you are perfect in your Father's eyes. He finds you without fault this morning. He actually believed that you were worth dying for. Jesus actually believed you were worth living for. That's the reason he lives. It's for you to connect us to the Father. One more. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 11. Very famous scripture around here. <laughs> well, the, the previous ones are too, but uh, I'm just going to read verse 11. Hebrews eight eleven, And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, For all shall know me from the least to the greatest. What I found interesting this morning is I looked up that first word, know, because he said, they shall not teach every man his neighbor, saying, know the Lord. That first word, know, is just very generic. It means be aware, feel, have knowledge, or perceive. The second word, know, is a different Greek word. They don't even derive from the same Greek word before that. The second word, no, it's derived from two different words. One of the words means to gaze with wide open eyes as at something remarkable. The second one is to stare at, to discern clearly. Let me read them together. To gaze with wide open eyes as at something remarkable. See, because in the Old Testament when He spoke through the prophets, God in sundry times and times past spoke to our fathers by the prophets, they couldn't know Him. They could know of Him, but they couldn't know Him. And these last times has spoken to us by His Son. We actually know Him because of the Son, and that's to gaze with Wide open eyes as at something remarkable. What are we looking at? We're looking at him. What is he looking at? He's looking at us. See, we look at him as something remarkable, but he looks at us as something remarkable. When your eyes are open to this, you'll never devalue yourself. Nobody else will be able to devalue you you will actually find yourself carrying the precious substance of God that men or women, if God allows, will be talking hundreds of years past this time about things that you did because you were looking at the Father with your eyes wide open and you've seen yourself as the Father sees you as worth dying for and now worth living for. The man, the myth, and the legend. Let me pray for you guys. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for the precious anointing that you've given us that allows us to abide in you. And because we abide in you, that nothing can pluck us out of the Father's hand. Nothing can pluck us out of your hand, Jesus, because we were given to you by the Father. You were given to us by that same Father, and now we have the same Father. We just thank you. I ask you that identities would become secure, that everyone in the sound of my voice would start living lives that people read about, that the exploits and the things that were done in your name throughout the generations would continue in ours. That there would become just an amplified voice of your truth in this place and in these people. I just ask you, Heavenly Father, just to continue to give us that desire and the ability to do what pleases you. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.